0: Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome back to another interesting, hopefully fun, and exciting episode of a Guide to Poor Parenting podcast for me, Jason.
1: And me, Jennifer.
0: Have a few drinks. And talk shit about our kids. Please follow us on Instagram at Guide to Poor Parenting, all one word, and Twitter and Facebook, Poor Parent Pod. Although we still haven't posted much. Mm, although after... Jennifer is just about to post something. I'm too?
1: trying. Yeah. yeah. I'm Well, I'm going to the backlogs and posting the old pictures. Yeah. And then I start posting the new pictures because these don't come out right away so sure. i'm trying to make it so that people can see what we've done in the past and not wondering where where the hell was this drink <laughs> you know they didn't say nothing about this food so
0: yeah and, and i remember when we first started i was like oh i'm gonna post all the recipes i make i'm gonna post a single thing but, nope okay well uh miss jennifer you only just met him mm-hmm. but uh are very excited to have our friends ashton and emily on the podcast You're hi welcome. guys hey hey uh, glad to be here emily say hi
2: hello hello
1: (laughs) (laughs) that might be all that you hear from emily the whole podcast (laughs) we don't know yet we just met her so we'll see how we can make her start talking
3: sorry first time podcast guests for the both of us i'm the extrovert she's the introvert so i i'm gonna overwhelm her the whole time that was totally (laughs) fine
0: (laughs) yep we uh we're always happy to have guests that are willing to talk so yes and uh we're glad you have someone to talk for you, Miss Emily. <laughs> <laughs> um,
3: have y'all ever done podcasts before? They just... No, so this is, this is our first time on a podcast. Um, we listen to several of them. Um, I've, I've got a couple of my favorites. Um, and then uh, typically more on the relationship or self-help spectrum. And then, Emily, what do you like to listen to?
2: Distractable.
3: <laughs> is that a podcast or something yes, else?
2: Yes, it's, um, do you know the YouTuber Markiplier? I, do. I think <laughs> I've heard of him. I might be a bit young. <laughs>
1: But she yeah, just called us old, guys. Well, We're going no right, to ta- right. cut off her mic right now. Gen Z, man. Just Well, funny. they're very funny. Okay. okay.
0: That's fine. Yeah. We, uh, I mean, half the podcast I listen to, I watch on YouTube also, just because it's more convenient. No. Yeah.
1: Everything is just a podcast, for me, but it's all murder. i'm i'm one of those true crime junkies that just love
0: plotting to listen
1: to uh yeah (laughs) to listen to how what to get what to do and what not to do just in case i ever have to do it i'm just kidding (laughs)
0: local podcast host murdered by his best friend
1: (laughs) (laughs) it would be more like (laughs) listening to murder podcast killed their son but not their best friend
0: (laughs) Uh, Well, thank you guys so much for coming. This is a light and fun atmosphere. uh, uh, Parenting is hard. We're new parents ourselves. Like we've only had our young ones for about four years, so we ain't all that experienced. Even if we are, even if we are old. Um, But uh, what are we drinking today, guys?
3: So we've got Cam and Jack margaritas and just simple sweet cocktail. There you go.
0: We uh, we were walking around Kroger's today, go buy some, and Zane's like, do we have to go to the margarita store? I mean, they, no, margarita store. Liquor. <laughs> Liquor store. I'm like, I don't think so, because they, like, uh, Kim and Jessica get them for shenanigans all the
3: time, so I was like, I'm pretty sure they're just the Kroger's, and
0: we finally found them.
3: Yeah, you know, Kim and Jess, they only do the Kim and Jack, uh, the Mojito and the Moscow Mule, because they've got, like, 10 different kinds of margaritas, yeah. and, so they go with a different vendor, but... I'd, if I do drink at home, this is one of the ones I go to because it's, it's just cheap, simple, and sweet. And I only drink things that taste like candy. Uh, so, yep. You are you're you in your 20s. Don't worry.
1: Yeah, you are young. <laughs> yeah. This is your
0: Zima. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was about to say, it was right next to the Smirnoff Triple Black and yeah, all that stuff. That I'm was like,
1: my jam back in the day.
0: Yeah. We, like, we, I, I didn't drink this because it didn't exist, but Zima and Smirnoff Triple Black, it was just like super sweet malt liquor and then in my late mid 30s i got it again just to try it and i was like it was so sweet so sweet this is tolerable to me because i I cannot handle most super sweet drinks but this this isn't bad
4: yeah
0: so i don't think it will probably i'm not a huge margarita drinker but if i do it tends to be the strawberry ones because i don't know like the the agave ones are a little sweet for my flavor Mm. And I don't like the lime, I don't know, this is not a podcast about how much I hate margaritas. This is a podcast about parenting and how awful it is. So, um, you two are the parents of one or two? One. Of just one. one. Uh, three-year-old? Yes. Okay, well let's,
3: let's roll it back. How did you two meet? Gee, so, would you like me to tell that story or yeah? You?
2: To your perspective.
3: Oh, Okay, so, um... So Emily and I are actually high school sweethearts. Um, we met, yeah, yeah, we met in English class, freshman year of high school. Um, so my it was mom six years ago? We've been together nine years. <laughs> Just teasing. It yeah, no. was a joke about your age. <laughs> <laughs> no, but oh man, it, it's hard to it's it's hard to realize it really was that long ago. Um, but yeah, so uh, long story short, Emily was like born and raised in that small town. My mom got married to husband number two and dragged us down there, or dragged us up there. Um and it was a rough experience to me. Um and until I met Emily. Um and that really Aww. did help a lot. That's not just, you know, shits and giggles for a podcast. Um that really was a big turning point in my life. But yeah, so we started dating. So we started like flirting Christmas of freshman year, because our English teacher, Miss Walker, thank God. Um she like just changed the seating chart. And so I was sitting right next to Emily. Uh, we started flirting, we started dating, um, the summer between freshman and sophomore year of high school. And then it's just been us ever since. Like I was her first serious boyfriend. And then you were my first serious girlfriend for sure. Um, um, So yeah, we got married on like our four year anniversary, which was 19 for us. And we've just been together ever since. So married at 19, kid at 21, in college, in the middle of the pandemic. Perfect timing. (laughs)
4: Oh, yes. Um, Where'd
3: y'all go to college at? University of Memphis. Both of y'all? so her first year, she went to Eastern Kentucky University, mm-hmm. um, and then we got married, and it's like, well, we, we want to be together, so which college are we going to go to? And, you know, that, honestly, that was not an easy conversation. Um, it, it just kind of came down to finances. Um, I got in-state at University of Memphis because of some shenanigans I pulled between um, on my, like, senior year of high school, so I got really good scholarships at a really cheap college. Um, and so I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll move down there. And that, that's kind of how that happens. And then it was just, what, one and a half, two years later that you we were pregnant? Yeah. I take it it was not a planned pregnancy? It was not planned. No. <laughs> no. We didn't um, do
2: much to prevent it, though. No, well, gonna... right. We... We <laughs> <laughs> were
3: just praying um, and hoping. <laughs> yeah, it's hard talking about this, knowing that, like, hopefully people listen to it. Uh, <laughs> we, we were not preventing it. So we knew at some point it was going to happen. Um, but it's not like... It was not like, oh crap, we're pregnant, what are we going to do? That was not at all. We knew it was going to happen sooner or later. It happened a little bit sooner than we were thinking. It's like, oh, okay. Um, those dice rolled a little bit faster than I thought. Um, For the
2: record, I was very baby. So I think...
3: You're also apparently very fertile. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
2: well, I've been told since I was like 10 that I have birthing hips. So. Oh, Yeah.
1: me too. <laughs> It's, it's like a great weird. thing to tell a two-year-old. It is old. really, really weird. weird to have someone tell you at a young age, you have breathing hips. What the hell does that mean? I'm 10. I don't know nothing about is that. Is that a common thing? And I like, mean, it's it
0: happened like 20 years apart.
1: Yeah.
3: <laughs> See, I was always <laughs> appalled when she would say that to me. So to hear another woman say that, it's like, oh my God, what is happening?
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, no, no, was the person who was asking you or telling you there's a woman or a man. Oh, it was all the aunts. Um, oh, the aunties. One of oh, yes. okay. mm. a,
1: at a, uh... Like a, a Dillard's or a just random lady, not even family, <laughs> told me, and I'm like, what the fuck? Yes, I have hips. They're from my grandma, but leave me the fuck alone. Okay. Hey,
0: that is disturbed. I'm always a, like, I'm always amazed at the comments women get directed at. Not just from men, because those are awful. but yep. Other women mm-hmm. are just shockingly bold. And I'm like, I would never tell another man. Oh. I don't even know what I was like, Oh, you, you have big dick energy. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, that's awkward.
4: Yeah. But nice. like
0: women, I've just heard like so many stories of women. I was like, Oh, Oh, you're ugly.
3: Or, Oh, you're,
0: you're, like you're wearing a, uh, a bra too small. You need a bigger bra. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've heard that
3: one. That's crazy. Jeez, yeah. But yeah, so like Emily, she really was like excited to have a kid and like really raised from a young point to like be around kids and, and love kids. Um, I was, I was a single child. Um, for many, many years, um, not for lack of trying, but there's some fertility issues in my family and I won't, I won't go into all that, but, uh, apparently it didn't affect you. <laughs> well, yes, they, they did not affect me. Um, but the reality is like every attempt after me was a, oh, like wow. every single one. Um, and so that's like, that, that was hard on my parents. Um. As much as I think that my parents maybe should not have gotten married. <laughs> um, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm <laughs> um, did, you know, you, they, did your parents ever try for adoption or foster? Or no, like they did not try for adoption. So hmm. when when my parents got married, they were both Mormon. They were both LDS. Oh. And so there really is, you know, in that culture, there's something sacred about having a family and having kids.
1: 15... <laughs> you know yeah. that kind yeah. of thing so my, yeah. my
3: dad was a return missionary from mexico city so yeah they were married gosh i think my mom may have had the same path as as us where she was a married at 19 kid at 21 dad may have been 25
4: i think he's okay. four years older
3: wow but yeah so like for for millennials and gen z still very young to be to be getting married and having kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but so like my mother, I think she had me at 21. If she had waited another year, I would have, which is, which is hard. Like I don't, I don't wish that on anyone, even if like that relationship may be strained. That's just like, that's just cruel. Yeah. I'm hate that for anything. Um, but all, you know, all that to say, what is my point? Um, I was a single child for many, many years. Um, How many? So my dad got remarried and had my first brother when I was 11. I want to say 11 or 13. Like okay. there's, there's a solid around 12 years of separation between us. Um, and even then, like my parents were long divorced, Mm -hmm. different States. Um, like my, my relationship with my siblings is not your typical sibling relationship. Like it's not bad, but But it's it's just like,
1: it's not like full blooded lived with them.
0: Yes. More like uncle, Jennifer's 18 years older than her brother. Yeah.
1: Single child till I was 18 years old. I graduated high school and then my mama decided I have a full time babysitter. So here's a baby. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs)
3: <laughs> yeah. So it was just, we, we just came from very different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I think parenting was overwhelming for my mother. And Of course, like she was, she was, she was divorced. I would not say single mom though. Um, just because there were, there were a number of marriages. Mm-hmm. Um, so okay, she was, okay. she was really a single mother. Um, but it's, it, it is hard being a divorcer, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so we just, we came from very different backgrounds. We did not end up having the kid. Um, <laughs>
4: <laughs> I, no I going back s- on that. <laughs>
3: no going back. But um, like, it, we don't view it as a mistake though. It's not like, oh shit, what are we going to do now? Right. It's like, you know what? It happened. We were expecting it to happen. Mm-hmm. What are we going to do now? Like, what is what is the next step? Not right. like, oh shit, what are we going to do to manage this crisis? But like, okay, we, we need to change. But how? That was something that even Emily, like, preparing for kids from like, how are we going to change? And a lot of things caught us by... A lot of things caught me by surprise. Um Did y'all... St- so y'all were
0: 21. So you had been like, end of college by that point?
3: Yes. For for both y'all was- of y'all? Yeah, so... Violet was born a couple weeks after we did our finals for junior year of college. Okay. Um, were you all both able to finish college? Yes.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Did yeah. You? I, um, I mean, you just hear a lot of parents, like, just that's a lot of it's stress. It's too much. Yeah. yeah.
3: Oh, so. I mean, there were many tears.
2: Well, actually, <laughs> he was in engineering school, so it was a lot for him, but... COVID happened right when she was born, because she was born uh. May of 2020.
1: Oh, wow. And that
2: was right before the hospitals and everything locked down. Yeah. So.
3: Which, honestly, kind of a bit.
2: <laughs> A little bit. But all of my courses were thrown online. I was an elementary school major, and because of COVID, I did not want to student teach that last year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just switched to child development, and, you know, she slept and I did work, and it really wasn't hard.
1: <laughs> so she was a good baby. Ish. <laughs>
0: She's a good-ish baby. She slept. She's a good sleeper. Okay, well, that's good. Yeah, I mean, because you,
1: you get babies that don't sleep at all, yes. so, yeah. you know, that are colicky and just cry all the time, mm-hmm. which would be really hard to do an online class when you're, you know, having a crying baby in your arms. So that's good. At least she slept. So that's a good plus. Everything else, you know, maybe bad, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. at least you got that.
0: Yeah. I was about to say, with the cost of childcare and being in college, I don't know. That amazed y'all, but now it makes sense if you're able to stay home and
1: mm-hmm
3: yeah 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 that was big if like if covid had not happened and so you have the transportation concerns i really don't know what exactly would have happened because like emily was planning to move to early childhood development kind of already it's just Mm -hmm. things got accelerated um but yeah if we had to like do transportation regularly switch off kids instead of you know we're just kind of both unless i need to be in a lab or something Mm
4: -hmm.
3: yeah that i really don't know what would have happened um so yeah covid i feel like weirdly we came out very, very ahead. Because like a lot of my friends who are college students got absolutely screwed during COVID, um, because they didn't get any of the stimulus. They were still young enough that their parents were like claiming them as dependents. Oh. But Emily and I, we got married at nineteen for for many reasons. Um, like. We had been together four years and we were like, yeah, we're, we're going to try and make this work for a very long time. Right. Um, but there was a big financial component of like, why did you get married at 19 rather than wait until you're done with college? Which is what a lot of our peers did.
1: Insurance purpose. Well, I was (laughs) a student. I didn't have insurance.
3: (laughs) But you know, um, (laughs) you went to the clinic on campus where another student looked at you. (laughs) Yeah. But what ended up happening is we were both broke. In real life and on paper, which is great for the FAFSA. Oh, yeah, that's um, true. But then COVID happened and the government looked at us and said, oh, you're not dependent. So we got all of the normal stimulus and all of the college student uh, student stimulus that came later. Because the politicians were like, shit, the college oh, kids are pissed yeah. at us now. Yeah.
0: Um, I was about to say, and you probably got all those because you were broke as hell. My daughter broke as hell and she got a crap ton of stimulus because yeah. she had two kids. And you like you got a pretty good return that that first year when you had Wesley and the COVID hit.
1: Yeah, with the yeah I don't remember how much it was, but yeah, it helped. Everything helps. I mean, yeah. we had got a PEBT card uh, from the school for reduced lunches because um, all the schools in this neighbor uh, in this in, in Huntsville, I guess, are on uh, reduced lunches still because they didn't use all of their COVID uh, money. So every me. every once in a while they'll just randomly put money on that card still. Huh. And I'm like, "Okay, thank you. I'll take that $120 and go get some groceries cuz groceries are expensive."
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was yeah, like Emily and I and we we never tested positive for COVID. We got tested several times, but every single time and so like I just got a couple rapid tests and keep it at home. It's like, I'm done getting tested. And it's, it's not because I think like COVID oh, a hoax or anything like that. Like I'm fully vaccinated. But every time I'd go to get tested, the doctor would be like, you don't have COVID. You have allergies. And this happened like three or four times. Um, like my first job out of college, I lose two weeks of leave in the first year because like crap, I think I have COVID. I go get tests, like no vicious allergies, but I was not allowed back to work until I had a PCR confirming the negative. Right. Yeah. yeah my God. And so it's like, screw it. I'm just, I'm. I'm going to trust the rapid tests. I know that they have like a false um, or a positive, high false positive yeah. rate or a high false negative rate, whatever. I don't care. I can't lose any, I can't lose any more leave. My so, my yeah.
0: cousin who's a doctor, she was at Sloan Kettering in New York in the middle of the pandemic. And she was like, she's like, at some point I just stopped getting tested. Cause she's like 90% of the hospital staff had it. So she's like, I just assume I have it. Right. <laughs> it's like, if I, you know, it's like everybody in this, goddamn hospital has it so we're just gonna assume i have it and move on yeah that oh i'm so jealous because we got it it started in 19 didn't it was that when the pandemic started 2020 2020 we got it in october she's had long covid for ever since then so yeah. she's had non headaches and i actually went in the hospital with it so oh <sighs> Jesus. yeah, yeah we had that.
1: three times we've had it
0: yeah I've well, you had, had you I've never I've only been diagnosed that once. Yeah, I've had it three. Yeah, <laughs> we're trying to keep the cat out of the snacks.
1: <laughs> it's not fun. I mean, the first time it was just weird not being able to taste or smell anything. Like I kept putting hot sauce and a whole bunch of shit because it's like
0: just saying you can't you
1: taste it. So the hot the so you take a bite of something it was like burning your mouth. You're like, okay, that's a sensation I've had before, but you know you're not really eating because you don't can't taste what you're eating so it was really right. weird
0: yeah was, and i don't know have you know kim and jessica got covid two weeks ago or three weeks ago now from yeah. shenanigans that's something that right yeah like his dad and the stepmom got it and
3: everybody's catching it again. Yeah, yeah, there's a new variant, and I think they've released a new vaccine for it. That's supposed to be a single-dose vaccine. Um, I may look like getting a booster for that, but, uh, like, I just changed jobs and everything. So, first, I got to see, like, do do we have an on-campus clinic that'll do <laughs> free flu shots and COVID shots and do it that way? Um,
1: well, you can get, yeah. I think, a free flu shot at, yes. uh, like, yeah. CVS, Walgreens. They'll do your flu shot for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My yes. work actually does it in office, so we just... Leave our desk and go upstairs and get our shot and then go back to work.
3: Yeah, that, that's how I was. I used to work for Dynetics um, okay. and then left there. Uh, Where uh, are you um, at now? Um, I'm with Parsons. Oh, okay.
0: I have interviewed with Dynetics a few times, but. never went through, so. But
3: yeah, I, uh, that, that was probably a good. <laughs> 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 well, I heard
0: before they bought, got bought out by Lidos that they were a really
3: good company. Was that not true? Well, it, for our community, Dynetics was not a safe place. Oh. You no. Know. So, uh, yeah, I don't, uh, how much do you guys talk on, on the podcast about that stuff?
0: You talk about, we have, a, uh, our most listened to episode at this point is 36. So you just say, it because okay. no one listening. Yeah, so
3: so <laughs> what I'm trying to say here is, uh, Dynetics is not very friendly. Oh. Um, and old guard Dianetics was much worse. okay. New guard Dynetics is is better about that, but yeah, that that's a whole set of drama. I'm just not going to get into, but essentially, you. they're the integration is is going rough, and they're losing talent because they're just they're not compensating well, and they're doing poorly, and everybody's just like, I'm got you. I'm tired of this like slow burn. Mm-hmm. Um, so so yeah, I'm I'm much happier with Parsons doing the exact same work. Mm-hmm. Um, Good. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so
0: back to babies. So (laughs) you're 21, junior year of college. You're able to go online, both of y'all. So what was... um, So y'all would have graduated, and then Violet would have been a year? Yes. And then how was it transitioning into the workforce with a one-year-old for both of y'all? So Emily's actually stay at home. Oh, okay. Um, And
3: we... Like, for very non-traditional people, um, we have a very traditional lifestyle. Like, we are extremely... Straight nineteen fifties passing, right? Um
4: uh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well,
3: I mean, you've seen me at shenanigans where I open up a little bit, but like at work, it's like that I, I can very much be straight passing. Um, but for, I think there there was kind of a rough transition there, but getting out of college was great for us. Like things got so much better. Um, did so, did y'all move here right after graduation? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, Dynetics was my first job out of college, um, and yeah, so I just. I did my finals and then two days later we moved.
1: Oh, wow.
3: Um, yeah. So like, like Emily didn't get a full graduation. I don't think I did either. Um, she got like a slide and a PowerPoint on a screen. I think I got that same thing. I just didn't look at my slide. Right. Um, I may or may not, I can't remember, but yeah, so we graduated. I was like, yes, I can finally get out of Memphis. And I left. Yeah. Um, you know, I I had a really, (laughs) I had a weird interaction with, uh, a couple of my professors my senior year of college um, <clears throat> and well I'll, I'll keep this short so we can like get back to babies right <laughs> um, but my senior year of college I was in like my senior design course and as part of that we had to interview some staff members and I interviewed two faculty members at the same time I will not name them um, but that interview was both where I got this weird question and how I got a reference to Dynetics which got me that job um, but there was one professor um, at the University of Memphis, who was a member of a minority group. And he looked at me dead in the eyes over Zoom, right? Because it's COVID. he was like, I would like to invite you to become a minority and join our master's program since I would be the like only white American male. And I looked him dead in the eyes, like, I don't know how to respond to this. Because like, does this not feel inappropriate to you? It feels inappropriate to me. It feels like you're trying to recruit me into the master's program, but suddenly I very much do not want to be here. And, also, and by the way, I didn't want to be here anyway. <laughs> so
0: it's like, is Memphis an a historically-backed university?
3: It isn't, it's not an HBU, no. Oh, okay. um, it's a public university. So but so um, just a- across the country, a lot of STEM graduate programs are predominantly um, like South Asian and Southeast Asian. And I have absolutely no problem with that. Like That is not what this is at all. It's just that um, where they do come from other cultures, some of the American professors do struggle to relate with them and get along with them, and like even just language barriers. Mm-hmm. And so some American professors whether they are um, Asian-American or African-American or Caucasian-American, if they can find an American undergraduate that they like, it's like, okay, we have a cultural similarity. That's going to make it easier to get along. And I did well in school. So they were were trying to convince me to stay for a graduate program. But I don't want to be there. Um, And they could tell that. So they they just... (laughs) That was a very long, awkward conversation with both professors. Only one of them made the you would be a minority argument. I have no idea why he was going for that angle. <laughs> um, I, I, I have, truly have no idea why he thought I'd, I'd want to do my master's degree because I'd be a minority. I don't understand that logic. Yeah. Um, but the, And then the other professor was like, well, here's the thing is if you go into the workforce, you're going to get stuff. And then you get addicted to stuff. And then it's hard to go back True. to school. It's like, do you mean an apartment where the walls aren't cracking? Yeah, that's some important stuff that I want. <laughs> I'm leaving school. Um, so yeah, awkward conversation, but I got my job. Anyway, it's like back to the point. <laughs> um, I, f- I feel like getting out of college actually helped with the parenting. Um, that's when I started to do, really do a lot of self healing. So you know. Like, I mean, this is a podcast about parenting, and I feel like it's important to be important and honest. Parenting was extremely hard for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and like, there was a lot of things happening in 2020. I had been in therapy for years, trying to get a handle on an anxiety disorder that I think I'm just now coming out of. And really, I've got a handle on it. It's not a disability anymore. I've got this under control. But with with Violet being born, and then school happening, and COVID, it all like hit the fan. I went on antidepressants for the first time in my life. Um... And like to me, that was like the the last um, that was the straw that broke the camel's back, right? Um, and so For then, what? It just just like having the baby on top of everything, um, and like I, I hate saying it that way, because like are you are you saying you have regret or this or that? It's like no, it's not that. It's not the parental regret. Um, it was just burnout from everything oh. happening at once, That's and, that, a lot. and having the baby right, and the baby happens like I I've been trying my. But at this point, I need something to take the edge off so I can regain self-control. So I went on a low Mm -hmm. dose of an antidepressant, like the lowest that I could get to give me my self-control back. Um, And I'm just now weaning off that. Um, I'm down to like, I'm down to like two and a half milligrams a week of my antidepressant, which for those who are on it knows like, oh, wow, that's, that's a good stepping stone. I'm hoping to be done this December. Um... It wasn't until I got out of college so I could start the healing process that Mm -hmm. I really wasn't able to do in school because everything was happening all at once. Right.
1: There's a lot of stuff being thrown at you at one time. And then you add in COVID, you add in a baby, you add in just moving, you add in everything, and it just feels like it piles and piles and piles until you just are like, okay, I'm proud of you. I know I just met you, but I'm proud of you for getting help. For not, you know, trying to you know, I'm gonna be a man about it and just, you know, do that thing.
3: And oh, no. doctors
1: are bad and all that stuff that you actually were like, okay, I need to do this to be the best person I can be.
3: Yeah. You know, so <laughs> masculinity has never worked for me. I mean, you, <laughs> like listeners cannot see me, but like, I do not look like a masculine man. Um, and people who interact with me for more than 30 minutes were like, yeah, you're not. Like, you're male, but you are not a man. It's like, great, that's exactly what I want to hear. So I just, (laughs) I abandoned masculinity a long time ago. Um, In fact, I distinctly remember. So when I moved to the small town where I met Emily, but like before I had met her, first day, eighth grade year, middle school, um, small town Kentucky. I'm at lunch and this girl comes walking up to me and I'm like, it's a small town. I'm new, so I'm the hot stuff, right? Which apparently, I don't know. I don't understand that. Um, but she comes up to me and she's like, Hey, I hear you have a sexy voice. I did not say another word the rest of lunch <laughs> or the rest of the day. <laughs> and that, that's a, that's a personal problem. Like why I get so easily offended when people just hit on me without knowing me first, that really offends me. Um, but the, the, like the small town guys looked at me and it's like, dude, she was coming on to you. Why didn't you hit back? It's like, oh, you must be gay. And it's like, no, I just don't know the girl. Why was she talking to me? Do you know her? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, just don't get it. I gave, on ma- I gave up on masculinity a long time ago. Um, and then like my family is just mental illness and disorders for generations. I was taught from the time I was young, like, you're broken and you need help, which like was manipulation. and wasn't right. But I somehow survived. and I got to the point. I was like, yeah, I should get help. Um, like I was able to take something really negative and spin it into something positive. Was, but, yeah. was that
0: attitude part of the,
3: do the LDS church or was it just generational trauma no. that no one was dealing with? No. So they weren't saying I need to go see the Bishop. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, well mainly because by the time I could remember my mom had like left the Mormon church and she's like staunch ex-Mormon. Oh, okay. Um, my dad's back in the church. Um, but he's not, I, I respect my dad's faith. Um, I mean, I'm not a member of the church, but I do think he is respectful in it and it's that that's a whole other conversation. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, like this was not because of the Mormon church or the LDS culture at all. This was that specific family um was just like manipulative and very mentally ill and refusing to get help for their problems. Okay. Now okay. some of that, like the, the multiple generations of not being able to receive help may partially be because there just weren't therapists out in Utah or the West at the time. Part of it may be, well, you should go to your bishop, not to a scientist, like you should see mm-hmm. God. So yeah, that that probably did affect it. But this was kind of a separate issue. I don't want to really blame the Mormon church for this specific family. <laughs> there are other families, yes. This one, eh, not so much. The church doesn't. Um, but yeah, so I mean, that, and that is something I absolutely would recommend for his, like. If you say it takes a village, someone's going to bitch slap you. Like, someone's just going to slap the shit out of you. Why? Um, Well, It sounds cliche now, but... It sounds very cliche, and a lot of people are like... In an American culture, this whole, like, what do you mean I can't pull myself up by my bootstraps and do it on my own? It's like, are you saying I'm weak? It's like, no. It's very freaking difficult, and you need help. When your child's been screaming for three hours because they're teething... And you are literally crying because, like, I have tried everything. My head is pounding and there is nothing I can do about it. You just need to give the baby to someone else and walk out. (laughs) And if you don't have help to do that, which is kind of where Emily and I kind of felt like we were in the middle of the pandemic, it's... Like, you just start cracking, and then you start taking yeah. out on the kid. And it's like, that, that's not what you need to do. Um,
0: we, we can relate to that. Okay. <laughs> we there's still a, relate to that. Yeah. Yeah. The reason why
1: I asked you why is because I say that shit all the time. It yeah. takes a village, because he's my village. If I yeah. didn't have him, I wouldn't have him, my, my son, because right. there's no way, as a single mama, that I would be able to do anything for Wesley. Jason helps me out so much. I mean, the podcast helps me out so much because then I get an hour away from him and he has to stay in a room by himself. And that gives me an hour to talk and just be like an adult. Yeah. <laughs> Not a mom and hear mom, 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 mom over and over and over again, you know? So that's why I was asking why because right. I was like, I say that shit all the time. <laughs> Wait, so
3: I think that's good though because that's what I want people to do is yeah. recognize like, yes, it is a cliche, but there is a reason that this thing has become a cliche. There's a reason right. why people keep reiterating it you need to take it seriously. and especially, You need a village. Yeah. Um, like, you need to take it seriously. And mm-hmm. I think one misconception I hate about that phrase, though, so just coming from my own kind of torn family background, is when people hear, like, you need a village, they immediately think about their family. And what I mean in this case specifically is they think about, who are my blood re- blood relatives? right?
0: Oh, yeah.
3: And it's like, well... What I really wish people would think more about is what is your chosen family?
0: Yeah.
3: And people who maybe are outside the queer community or outside, like, black communities, they, like, when I say chosen family, they don't really understand what I'm referring to, like, this whole cultural concept. Um, But, so I'd really invite anyone who hasn't heard that term to really dig into it, especially in African-American communities um, or queer communities. I think it's, is it called the ball scene? Yeah, yeah, the balls. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the ball scene is one who really popularized, like, who, are, who is my chosen family? Yeah. These are the people who I have chosen to call family. We have made an agreement. We are going to support each other. Yeah. That's what you need in your village. It's not like, do I have 10 blood relatives who live within a mile of me? Yeah, seriously. Um, it's, do well, I have for some a... people,
0: that's all they have, though.
3: Right. And if that's all you have, then you try and make it work. But if that's... My fear is with people like that, if they're like, crap, this is all I have, there's a reason they don't want those family involved. Yeah. And that, that's something you should listen to. Um,
0: so are y'all, um, speaking of villages, are y'all close to your own biological families?
3: Fractured. Fractured, um, okay. So my family is very fractured, and I'll let Emily speak for herself. Um, my my family is pretty much broken up by the paternal, or by the grandparent lineage. So I've got my, my paternal, grandfather, grandmother, maternal, grandfather, grandmother. Those are four separate families. Mm-hmm. I don't talk to three of those. Oh. Entire bloodlines I've okay. cut out of my life. Well, two bloodlines I've cut out of my life. One is just in Canada. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I would cut them off too. To um, and then <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's, there's the Hills, um, who's like my, my dad's grandfather. Um, they're the ones I still kind of talk to, but not many of them. And it's not because I have a problem with them. They just, they don't really talk with each other that much. And so I, co- I have contact with my dad, who lives in Memphis. Um, but yeah, so for me, it's very fractured. And that's being a parent when you come from a fractured home, it, I feel like it is a lot harder. Because every time yeah. the child screams, you're thinking about what happened when I screamed. Like, what what happened to me? What was done to me when this happened? And so you're trying to heal yourself, parent yourself, and then trying to figure out, like, shit, how am I going to do this differently? Because I don't want them being, like, the kid to have this moment 20 years from now if yeah. they have a kid, you know. Yeah. Well,
2: I think but. that's what the breakings when Violet was, is we had her and we realized, oh, and at least for me, I was just kind of overwhelmed with this maternal instinct where, you know, I looked back and I thought, I have all these feelings for my child and all these things I want to do with her and how I would react if she does a certain thing. And it brought up all these old feelings of how my parents raised me, or rather, how they didn't raise me. Right. And a part of it, I kind of went through a depressive phase where it was like, you know, why did they treat me that way? I right. could never imagine doing that to my child. And that's what put me into therapy, <laughs> really. Uh, but also, I feel like the whole it takes a village thing was a problem for us in college, more so because it was our family blood relatives telling it to us but they all lived four hours away and wouldn't come to you know they would say it takes a village if we complained about being tired or needing help but then if we said the road goes both ways they wouldn't (laughs) acknowledge that
0: and i bet it was hard in college too because you had a bunch of like Mm -hmm. college kids i'm like i don't want to hang out with we have struggle that problem too with some of our friends like we have a lot of gay male friends they're like you know in their 40s like we don't really want kids so we don't want to be around kids that much so i would imagine that's even worse in college where it's like oh, a bunch of 20 year olds wanting to party and
3: you go have fun time with baby yeah yeah well i had friends in the engineering college at least who would have been very amenable to that i was just I was so focused on like, I am in college to get a degree, to get a career and get out. Like I shut down my own social circle, which really was was a mistake looking back on it. But you were so
1: focused and you were just like, this is what I got to do. I'm going to do it. And I don't want anything to stop me from doing that. kind of
3: and so it's like i understand where i was coming from but geez did i really need to make myself suffer like that right um like it really it was not until i discovered like moved to huntsville discovered shenanigans and then started forcing myself out into the community that i realized no i really am an extrovert i'm not an introvert and it's like why would you realize that at 22 instead of like 13 because i like i was like i was raised by my 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 mother and her family where it really was more of an introverted family it was like this is how we all are you need to be like this yeah Mm -hmm. it was kind of like here's the mold for a dean and you need to fit the mold of the deans and then once i kind of got out on my own i came here and got to shenanigans it's like wait a second no i'm an extrovert um i'm a highly sensitive extrovert um i've been reading a lot of elaine's Aaron highly sensitive person which is actually something i have to talk about today because it's had a lot of impact on our parents um but it yeah, it was not until twenty two that I realized like I'm an extrovert. But it, it had it wasn't until I like got out of college, went from working sixty hour weeks to forty hour week. Love being a government contractor, <laughs> um, and it was like I I have time to just be social and, and make friends and really discover the side of myself. I think um, I yeah. think
2: it was, yeah, it was because definitely. we were very isolated when we moved here, and we had both kind of shut ourselves off any kind of friend in college because we knew. We what were teenagers and mm-hmm. we were running away mm-hmm. and then we were like in college and we were running away because mm-hmm. Memphis do not recommend. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: Uh, but then we got here and...
0: You didn't have anywhere to run to? Right. <coughs> we yeah. didn't
2: have anywhere else to go and we said if we want to be happy here, we need to do something and we stumbled upon Jessica because I had posted in a group, I have all this baby junk, like oh, yeah. it's in good shape. I don't want to throw it away, mm-hmm. but someone take it, please. Right. And Jessica, being the person she is, had a student who she wanted to collect it for. Um, And so I met her at the theater and we ended up talking and he started volunteering there and then I started volunteering there and it just kind of took off from there. We've met so many people now.
0: That's awesome. Are y'all
3: doing any of the classes? So, we haven't been taking the classes, no, but I've, I've been leading the workshops. So, the improv? No, self help workshops. Oh, okay. So, Jenny's staying there as like the education coordinator. Mm-hmm. Um, or, education coordinator now. I think she recently shifted into that role. Um, but, so this, this is another thing that really impacts our parenting. Um, a year and a half ago, we bought our first house. Mm-hmm. And weirdly, that was actually the worst point of my life. Um, and mm-hmm. it's because I, <laughs> like so many young Americans, was taught that if you have, if you get a degree, get a good job, buy a house. If you can do all that before 25, like you're a prodigy and you're off to great success, you'll be happy. So I did it. I got an engineering degree. I started working for the government. I had this great job and getting security clearances. I get a house. Where's my I'm not happy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not happy. And you know, like before, like there's some external stress that's bringing me the anxiety, and depression. But this one is. Completely self made yeah. It's my vision of my life. I did it and it completely, what happened? Um, also one of the best failures of my life. It, like, <laughs> cause it, like it was, I had to fail that hard to realize I was that wrong mm-hmm. and then to figure out, well, what did I miss, right? Um, so about a year and a half ago, I started trying to delve into, okay, here was my model of happiness before, completely wrong, what are other ones? Um, not necessarily what is the right one? Cause I, I don't think that's the right question. But like what what are other models of happiness and what do i think will work for me mm-hmm. um so i started really digging into um positive psychology which is like it really is the scientific study of well-being and flourishing like across cultures and across people what really seems to truly make people happy and happy in a healthy way and for the long term so i started reading researcher martin seligman and books like authentic happiness learned optimism Um, as much as I love Seligman, he gets a little bit full of himself Mm -hmm. in his later writings and he starts like stroking his ego a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I'd I'd recommend his earlier books rather than his later (laughs) books, which are essentially just autobiography. It's like, Oh yeah, here's how I like fix the world. Um, um, but that, that led into so many things. So I start sitting, learned optimism and learned hopefulness, um, gratitude from a whole new perspective. And then recently, so I'm leading an overstimulation workshop at shenanigans tomorrow. And the reason why I picked that topic, the overstimulation, is because i it's something I've been struggling with ever since Violet was. And it was something I recognized then, but didn't know what to call it. And it wasn't until recently that I started to recognize, I think this is it. Um, Can you give us a five-minute, like
0: a 10-second yeah. synopsis of what you're talking about?
3: Yeah, so essentially overstimulation is just when you feel overwhelmed by your inputs. So like burnout is when you have prolonged or repeated stress that's Mm -hmm. not this it's like there's too much happening like a kid's birthday party too much damn noise too much sugar like too much light some flashing noises and activity and you just want to shut down you want to scream and escape you want to run away (laughs) (laughs) um that's what i'm focusing on but what i noticed is i would get overstimulated weirdly fast with violet Mm. Um, I quickly noticed screaming is a big trigger. Hmm, wonder where that came from. Yeah. Um, Jennifer, tell us about that. <laughs> um, so... I have ADHD, leave me alone. <laughs> Well, yeah, so people typically think overstimulation is unique to people who suffer, or not suffer from, people who have ADHD, autism, or who are diagnosed highly sensitive people, which is a label I've been studying very deeply lately. Um, but like everybody struggles with overstimulation at some point. There are just some populations that are very vulnerable to it. i yes. realized I'm in a very vulnerable population. And that made it really hard parenting at first because the moment she screams, I just want to escape. Right. And it's taken years to kind of build my tolerance. Yeah. Um, and thankfully, Emily's a much better parent than I am and has a <laughs> higher tolerance for that. Um, and so, and she's a very good like spouse and partner. So she, she's been patient with me and helped me get to a point where it's like, okay, you're a passable husband now. Um, <laughs> oh. um, Those are his that, words. That's, oh, a, yeah. <laughs> that's a self-inflicted label, 100%. Um, but yeah, so the workshop tomorrow is just like, what is overstimulation? How do you recognize it? Prevent it recovery and, and all that. Sorry. That was more than 10 seconds.
1: That's okay. But where
0: do, we, I, where I do saw... we buy tickets and what time is it?
3: Yeah, it's free. So I do all of these for free. <laughs> I'm just um,
0: fucking cause Jennifer needs to go. <laughs> cause she gets overstimulated pretty quick. Well, I, I saw a
1: meme, uh, or something on the book of faces. Um, and it was talking about a mom and it started out. I'm not mad. I'm overstimulated. Yeah. There's mom, 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 mom. I have to take care of everybody and everyone. There's no time for me. It's always somebody needs something. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, that makes sense. Because when you get overstimulated, you can come across as mad. Oh, yeah. Because it's just like, oh, my God, I just need two seconds to pee, please. Because why are you talking to me while I'm peeing? You know, that kind of thing. And so, you know, you do, I guess, come off as mad and you're just, it's just too much all day.
0: I, I totally agree. We had our granddaughters, our other grand, we had two younger granddaughters. We had them for a weekend. And by the time I was done with it, I was like, I don't want to be touched. I don't want everybody to talk to me. I just want to be left alone. I am like I am. I am a slow burner. Like I'm, I think I'm probably more like Emily. I like screaming doesn't bother me too much unless I'm kind of hyped up. But I don't get hyped up super quick. But when I do, I'm like, oh, I gotta step away. But yeah, that last weekend we had with girls, I was just like, oh, Jesus Christ, leave me alone! Mm-hmm. Don't touch me! <laughs>
3: yep. Yeah. Wait, and so that—that's what I noticed is like in general i'm not an angry person and especially like with my medication it just kind of killed anger which is lovely i love that it killed that emotion um like as as i went off the medication it's coming back a little bit and it's like okay time to practice some anger management skills but like uh, typically i'm not an angry person but i get overstimulated and suddenly it seems like i'm furious Mm -hmm. um and it's just like Nothing else in life makes me angry. Why do I experience this one emotion that I rarely experience so strongly? Even though it's like, typically with anger, there's typically a sense of injustice. And when I look at it, it's like, there's no injustice. That, like, labeling this emotion as anger doesn't make sense based on my, like, understanding of anger. I'm not noticing an injustice. They're not offending me. Um, it's like, what? What is happening? And it's just, I'm very sensitive to sound. Screaming is a huge emotional trigger for me, and I'm sensitive to touch. So when I've got a toddler who is kind of a physical touch, love language child who talks a lot and likes to shriek. Um, <laughs> yeah. wow. That's all of my triggers right there. Mm. I've got to figure something out.
2: Yeah.
3: <laughs> what
0: about you, Miss Emily? It's, uh...
2: Oh man. I'll admit there are some days I've taught my toddler to uh, scream into a pillow because I also needed to scream into a pillow, but I'm, I've, Grown up around kids my whole life, you mm-hmm. know I'm a really, really good with them. I can have a room full of 30 kids and handle that better than I can have a room full of two adults I've never met.
3: I, I can do okay. that.
2: Sure. <laughs> but you know because of that, I'm I'm really good with her, and you yeah. know I've got a child development degree, so from a study perspective, I have a toolbox of things I can use when she gets that way. Mm-hmm. Um, So it's it's not something that's necessarily come to me as difficult. Uh, I think really what a lot of parents struggle with and what I've been trying to do is if I'm feeling overstimulated, I say that to her. Like She's three, Mm -hmm. so she's not going to understand it in the way that an adult would. Right. But she really picks up on that energy. Right. So it has helped a lot if i'm feeling a certain way to tell her i'm feeling that way mm-hmm. and she has gotten to where now if she's mad or sad or nervous she says i am nervous i am sad i am mad right and you know obviously it's not perfect every day there's still right. days she screams because she got two juices not three juices right yeah. <laughs> but i really think that's a big part of you know a big part of Helping our children deal with the things that we're dealing with because right. you know when I was having had those big emotions when I was a kid, I was either told to get over it or I was smacked. Right. You know, I was told to go to my room. I was told to shut up. Right. Yep. And so I'm really trying hard not to do that with her. And by the end of the day, he'll come home from work and I'm like, take her. Yeah. <laughs> because you know I love her to death and I'm trying really hard. But mm-hmm. when he's home, it's like, okay, your turn. I can I can go sit down and run away and lock the door from right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would, I would, like, I've never been a stay-at-home mom, but I would, A, the, um, at least as a, you know, as a working parent, I get to interact with other adults. Yes. And being stuck at home, not stuck, but being at home with a person who is so, at, you know, learning to control themselves and is just overstimulating in general, I would find that smothering after a while. <laughs> Especially if I didn't have a partner who was, like, could come home and be like, here, take, I gotta run. It really
2: is. Which, you know, he was talking about overstimulation. I am very overstimulated by consistent noise. Mm -hmm. And she's loud because she's three. So there are some days I just put in my headphones and just don't listen (laughs) to it anymore. Got to do what you got to do. <laughs> yes. I will
1: say that it doesn't stop at three. Oh, I know.
2: That's and she is a
1: chatterbox, so.
0: Well, ten year old
1: for, for weird stuff, the 10-year-old and the 12-year-old will just be playing on their tablets, and all of a sudden, they scream. Yep. <laughs> what the fuck was that? What, Mom? I was like, you just screamed like bloody murder. <laughs> no, I didn't. Like, don't be trying to gaslight me, little man, because you did. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they don't even know they do it. And he just makes all these noises. And I'm very sensitive to noise. I, I actually went to a psychiatrist because I felt like I wasn't being a good parent. Um, he'd be in the back seat and his jacket will make noise because he's moving. And I'm like, baby, please stop moving. Or please stop touching whatever you're touching. Because I can hear everything. And I'm like, okay, this isn't normal. I need to be a better mom. So I'm going to go and see if i can do something to better me to be a better mom to you because i shouldn't be yelling at you because you're just moving in the back seat of the car you know that's not something that i should be you know i feel like i shouldn't be doing that but um it's just yeah that sucks
3: Also, i will say that so uh this kind of brings me to the highly sensitive person suddenly so you know i I was kind of experiencing those experiencing those same things like i shouldn't be as quick i don't understand why i'm getting quick like this looking at people around me this is actually this doesn't seem like you know parents are so quick to attack themselves but i was looking around I was like no that really does seem a little bit unusual am i just am i too sensitive <laughs> um so then i started reading there's this researcher elaine aaron who's been studying for the last um this concept of highly sensitive people and what happens when like they become parents what if you have a high sensitive child and this and that and um, it i would i would highly recommend it um but essentially what I i have kind of come to is I'm very reluctant to apply labels to myself because typically I feel like people like give away their free will to their label. But this was one of those where it's like, no, this, this hits me right on the head. Um, I'm not going to find my whole life around it, but this will fits me. Drives my um, and so like I start studying it and realizing, yeah, a lot of these behaviors that I couldn't explain, they're explaining this makes sense. And then I look at Violet and it's like, wait a second, you act just like me. Oh, shit, you had inherited this from me, didn't you? <laughs> so, <laughs> honestly, that, that's been one of the best things for me recently in the last few weeks. Um, you know, like, Emma and then I did have a hard conversation a few weeks ago where she was like, "You are, like I understand you're frustrated about something you've got to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I tried just kind of coming at things with fresh eyes and resetting my little bit. Um, and this this is one of the things that helped. I, I started to notice like there are these things I struggle with. And then we started soccer recently. And so I'm able to, like, watch Violet interact with other people from afar. Like, mm. I'm still there. I'm on the side. But I'm able to watch her interact with other kids and other adults. Like, she's not overstimulating me so I can really think about her right. and be compassionate for a second. And it's like, oh, holy shit, you're just like me. Like, the you are acting these ways. Sometimes that irritate me because you're doing the exact same thing I do. <laughs> and, and I'll say that. I think that was a breath of fresh air into our relationship. It's just kind of looking at the kid and finding just some shared things. It was like, yeah, you are my kid. There are some ways we, similar. There are some key ways we're really different. There's some key ways we're really different. Um, but there are some ways we're similar and trying to find that and, and really leaning to it and be like, okay, let's work through this together. Um, and then as I understand myself better, it helps me understand her better. And then understanding her better helps me understand myself better. Um <laughs> Where was I going? I don't know. Highly sensitive people. Well, yeah. I did I, yeah. I did you have a question, Jay? Well, I was gonna oh.
1: ask, what was the label that you HSP,
3: you should, highly sensitive person? Like that, oh, is, oh, the that itself. is the label that Oh, That is the label. Okay. That's yeah. why I,
1: I was just like I was waiting for you to say it. And I'm like, I don't think I maybe I missed something.
3: <laughs> sorry, yeah, sorry. No, the, the label there is highly sensitive person gotcha. HSP. And where I was going with that is what Elaine recommends is like how do you help highly sensitive people and highly sensitive parents just want to recognize, just accept that you are sensitive. Yeah. And like, you gotta remove the shame from it and just recognize like, this is gonna happen. They've proven that with the, highly sensi- the high sensitivity thing, it really is genetic. In the moment when you're overstimulated, there's not much you can do. It's not much of a mind over matter situation. You can do a ton of prevention, and prevention, like an ounce of prevention, is truly worth a pound of cure for overstimulation. Um, and there are definitely ways to come down from it, and you, you've gotta learn that. But in that moment, it's just like, crap, I'm there. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go use the bathroom. Bye. (laughs) It's like, I'm going to go take a 10 minute break. Um, But in in her things, like recognize it, just say like, yes, I am sensitive. I need this. It's going to happen. And it's, it's not a discipline issue with this. It's not a discipline issue. There are other conditions where yes, it is discipline with this. Not so much. So recognize you're sensitive, maybe recognize your kids sensitive. Um, And then just realize, okay, this like, it's nothing to be ashamed of. But it is something I need to kind of work around and accommodate, right. right? So, like, for me, like, I'm highly sensitive to noise. I've got a toddler that screams. I can't yell at her when she screams. What am I going to do? Um, Noise-canceling headphones. Noise-canceling headphones are a great one. Uh, yeah, so you can either get, like, gun range earmuffs. whether or not you own guns. Like, I personally don't. Um, but like, I still have gun range earmuffs cause they're great for work too. When I mm. want people to like, leave me alone. Right. <laughs> um, but another thing that I think is actually maybe better is concert earmuffs or uh, concert earplugs. Yeah. So if you look up like concert quality earplugs on Amazon, you'll find these like little insertables that have a little filter in them. You can still hear clearly, but everything's dampened. So mm. if something like screaming is a huge trigger for you you immediately cut like 20 decibels out of Mm. that sound. It's like, okay, it's a little bit easier to handle. now. So if if you don't like things in your ears, yeah, that, that is definitely a problem. But you know, like it's, it's like having your PPE. Um, Like if you're a firefighter or in a, in a lab setting or whatever, like having your PPE for stimulation is one of the things I'm going to recommend in the workshop. (laughs) Like I have no vision problems. I wear glasses almost all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, I've realized I'm very sensitive to computer lights. I wear sunglasses when I drive. Um, Like we're surrounded by really bright, intense screens, Mm -hmm. wearing glasses where it reflects a little bit of that light at the end of the week makes a difference for me. Um, So that's one big thing I recommend for like parents with highly or for highly sensitive parents or for very stimulating children, whichever (laughs) way you want to look at it, um, is have your PPE. If it's if it's the earmuffs or like concert earplugs so that you can still hear them but they may have to get a little bit closer and it's going to deaden that noise. Right. Um, may also teach them to stop shouting from across the house. It's like, sorry, I've got earplugs. You have to come to me, look me in the eye and then communicate. Yeah. <laughs> you know? oh, God. Um, good luck with that. They'll just get yeah. louder. Well, yeah, but <laughs> I was
1: like, good luck with that.
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, that'll last for a little while. Yeah. But then, you know, like something Emily did say though, that I really like the way I started dating was very, very weird. I picked Emily because I thought she'd be a good long-term partner. Um, which in high school, a lot of people, a lot of people looked at me like I just had two heads. Um, and there's like, there were so many conversations that happened there. Um, but like, a, I kind of chose Emily at a young age cause I'd seen a lot of relationships and it's like, I want someone where I think that's going to last and good parent. And like, I see that every day with Emily. And one thing she talks about is, um, like she teaches Violet like I am overstimulated. Most parents like, why would I tell my children that they're not going to get it. It's like, you're right. They're not going to get it. Until about 100 tries in. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't matter if they're three, five, eight, or 25. Yeah. You know, a lot of adults don't get this crap. You, you've got to start your 100 trials early so that they will eventually get it. And it's right. like, you miss every shot you don't take. I yeah. love that philosophy for life. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, even though I am kind of a cautious, risk-averse person, I love that philosophy. And to me, like with Emily, what she's doing there is, she's not going to get it. But if I don't take the shot, she is never going to. So mm-hmm. you know what? Violet, I'm overstimulated. Are you overstimulated? How are we going to handle this? And it's like, I'm sorry, I just, I cannot play with you right now because you are way too much. Mm-hmm. Can you go to your calm down spot in like 10 minutes? I'm good. You know, that was, that, that's been really good. <laughs>
0: we uh, <laughs> I do something similar with Kalia, but usually it's like I'm pissed off because I'm like, okay, let's go clean up. And she's like throwing a major attitude at me. And I'm like, do we need, do we need a time uh, timeout for a minute just to calm down? She's like, no. <laughs> I'm gonna smack your ass. (laughs) Well, yeah.
3: Especially in the beginning, timeout work because express what they're feeling. So you're like, okay, the
0: corner, set a five minute. By the time they come down, (laughs) sit down with, okay, uh, do you know why we're? I I do remember that when we first got Kalia, we would put her in timeout because she was just like being too much, and she did not enjoy being ignored. So she would just scream even louder, and I was trying to like. Just kind of like shocker. So I just like slapped the wall with my hand. I was like, stop it. And then um, I was like, okay. And then I cracked the wall, doing it a little too hard. So I'm like, okay. Um, Maybe you just scream it out outside because I don't want to hear it. Yeah. (laughs) Because you're overstimulating me.
1: Or get her a pillow. I mean, that seems to work, you know. Teach her how to scream into the pillow.
0: Well, I usually just push her face into the pillow. Well, that's Say,
1: Let her have the choice of having the pillow. You
0: You (laughs) You and those choices. Yeah, you know. or the pillow. <laughs> <laughs> One, but
3: i will see that is that's something we've done differently recently is we, we've kind of tried to turn time out into uh we've I, I think emily's been doing this all along but for me what i've really tried to do is not just so like you made me angry this is a punishment it's like i i don't think you can process your emotions right now go somewhere quiet and you can come out anytime but when you come out i want you to explain what happened and if you come out and you're still just like way too amped up, you are going to go back in. And so it's less of a punishment, more of like, are you self-regulating? Yeah. And it's like, you can come out, you do have that choice, but if you're not self-regulated, I'm going to push you right back into there. It's, <laughs> it's like, and I'm not going to deprive you of things. I'm not going to punish you, but it's like, it, it's yeah. kind of like how you do it. Like if you do it when you're angry, which is natural, I'm, I'm not coming at you at all. Like you're angry and it's like, I just need you to go away so I can self-regulate. Yeah. yeah. But it's kind of teaching the kid like, so like you almost do it preemptively sometimes before it gets to that point. It's like, I want you to go self-regulate and then we'll come back. <laughs> so that in those moments where it really has gone too far, you can kind of r- come back to your training. It's like, I'm not me. I'm not angry. Just go away and self-regulate <laughs> and come back and explain. And then when they go away, it's like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it to the pillow, you know? Yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, it, it's hard. Yeah, yeah it
4: Parenting.
0: is. That's why we're doing this podcast because it's like... We don't know what the hell we're doing. We're just trying to stumbling through the dark with a flickering flame.
1: One day at a time. Oh, one day at a time
0: with headaches and everything. bad hips. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I think this is a good transition spot. What do you think? Yeah, okay. sounds good. So um, for all eleven of our listeners, if you Hi, have mom. any, <laughs> hey, mom, if you have any funny stories about your kids, or
1: if you need some bad parenting advice, or have any ideas for topics,
0: email us at Guide to Poor Parenting. At gmail.com, all one word. miss mm-hmm. uh, Jennifer, what is our snack time today?
1: These are one of my favorites that Zane makes. These are the Rollo pretzel cookies. And I absolutely
0: love yes. these things. Thank you for making them, Zane. Yes. You're welcome. <laughs> Have y'all got to try them yet? Yeah, 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 yeah no. I do love that. Um, they're super easy. Yeah. yeah. Um, sweet and salty. Sweet yeah. and <laughs> just like me. <laughs> just like me. All right. Um, got now the salty part right. Yeah well it's the diabetes that's oh, the that's cool. <laughs> um, so we got our snack time now it's story time so do y'all have any funny stories about that or about your own um, childhood or like did your parents like throw you in a well I don't know what you got
2: <laughs> Oh, well just today uh, <laughs> we were at a hair salon my sister had a haircut so I went with her with our toddler uh, we were waiting in the parking lot because it's a small place and we didn't want to take up all the room And next thing I know after sitting there for a minute, my toddler has a toy plastic drill drilling into my ear hole (laughs) and just laughing like a maniac. So that was fun. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's a pretty typical toddler. Like, oh, I have something... Whole f- uh, there's a hole let me put something yeah there's in. a peg that fits. Yeah. let me see if I get yeah. in did well she also week.
2: likes to pick other people's boogers and sneak them into other people's mouths sometimes. oh <laughs> so
4: that's nice
0: we're yeah. working on that wow. that's a great story yeah so. <laughs> oh my god
3: yeah.
1: anything from you Ashton are we gonna go with Emily's
3: oh my gosh I, I think we should keep the stories about Violet because if I start telling stories about my childhood like this is a very <laughs> different podcast okay <laughs> <laughs> I think, I well just,
0: do you have any stories about Violet did she, like, uh, uh, throw away a bottle of cologne or... Smear poop something? on the wall. No, so I
3: strictly wear perfume, actually. But <laughs> anyways, no, I, the one thing I think about is... So when, when we were in Memphis and students, we lived in graduate student family housing, which is a set of apartments in Memphis right by Orange Mount, which if you're familiar with Memphis, is the true ghetto of Memphis. Like it is not safe. Um, and that's, that's where they put all the married students. Um, is we, we had a little fence. The gate's always open. You can walk right in, but you know, mm, there's a little great. fence. You're, you're safe. Um, but like it was during COVID and like, we're, I just remember bringing her home one day. I can't remember if it was over the summer during COVID, if it was in school, but just Emily changing her diaper one day and then oh, suddenly God. projectile shit shooting across oh. the wall. <laughs> wow. It's like, the, oh, that's the man. only time we had that. But suddenly, like, I think Emily was taking off her diaper. I was like, it was dirty. But then she noticed, like, wait, something's coming out. And then stepping back and then, boom! Oh, wow. Thankfully, it didn't hit the TV. It went behind no, the it TV. Did. No, it did hit the TV. Wow.
2: I No, she was two weeks old. Oh, wow. And I wow. went to change her diaper. I was wearing a white shirt. And I don't know why. Like, I guess she was a newborn. I was tired, but I panicked. And instead of covering her up with yeah. the diaper I'd already put under her, I jumped out of the way, <laughs> and it just projectile, like, five feet across the white wall, the TV, Aww. the TV stand, Ugh. like, everything. Which means
3: it's, it's at, like, two-week poop, though, so it's easy to clean up. Yeah. Oh, no, no, tar.
2: that one was, oh, was that, that was real. straight projectile liquid. Oh, yeah. well, was, I mean, it
3: was easy to get out of the wall, though. Mm.
2: Was I was it? the one that scrubbed it, love. Oh, well, that's
1: true. Yeah, <laughs> you went back to your homework.
3: <laughs> yeah, I <can> yeah. we're about him.
1: Mama oh. knows what she had to do to clean <laughs> that up. So, <laughs> it's so it's,
0: <laughs> is uh, Violet the only one? Y'all are y'all done? Are y'all gonna have any more? Or? So we are done. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we're done. Oh, he snipped.
2: Like, oh, yeah. oh okay. he said, okay. "I'm not I'm... doing this again." <laughs>
3: gotcha. Yeah. This, okay. Yeah, so I, I was still dealing with some of the more negative emotions I had towards parenting. Um, and, you know, like we said kind of earlier, Emily really was excited and ready to have kids. I was I was more on the fence. And so when when we did have a kid and I was like, I'm really struggling with this. Um, I was like, okay, with all due respect, like once you get to two or three years, you're going to want another one. And I don't. I just, I can't <laughs> do this. Um, it's I'm very glad I had Violet but I also recognize that like one is probably my absolute limit Two will. And so I got a vasectomy and it really wasn't, it is something I talked about with Emily, but it really <laughs> wasn't. <hope> so. <laughs> yeah, it... Surprise. Well, I did talk with her, but it really wasn't her choice. Oh well, yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. This is it's your body. But... It, my body, my choice. Yeah. I've, I've <laughs> always been pro choice. Always will be. Um, but it really was like my body, my choice. I love Violet. I'm going to work to be a better parent every day, mm-hmm. but I've got to call it at one. This is very hard for me um and so i did I, I got a vasectomy here in huntsville at 22 um Amazing. dr daniel asula if you're listening thank you so much <laughs> well because i so i was 22 and so <laughs> a lot of doctors would say no i'm not yeah I was, I was
0: amazed they let you have
3: one yeah so but i went and talked to a dr asula and like he's a young black guy which i was so happy to see um so i walked in and he comes in and he's like y- you are young so he did ask what i thought were appropriate questions like do you have? It's like, yes, I do have one. He's like, how old are they? And I told her, like, he's two. And, like, we did go th- through some questions, but, like, it wasn't a litany. It was nothing like what they make some women do, like pre abortion screening. Oh, yeah. But it, it was, to me, it felt like fair questions. He was like, you understand this is permanent. People will tell you you can reverse it. And that is technically true, but there is a high failure rate. There is no guarantee. Yeah. This is permanent. Do you understand that? I was like, yes. Okay. Let's schedule an appointment." And he was like, you know what? Even if I disagree with it, it's not my place. You you have the child, you decided it's not for you after a couple of years, okay, this is your life. I'm not in control of it. Let's get the surgery done. Let's get it done right. And let's get you all out the door. I, I love Dr. Asula. I would absolutely recommend to him to anyone in Huntsville at Huntsville Urology, right? Um, but in the middle of my vasectomy, because I was not put to sleep, um, it was just like numbing. Um, I was having a conversation with him and the nurse, which is such a weird experience. And Dr. Asula was like, yeah, I don't see why anybody would decline. you." And the nurse openly said like, yeah, this doctor, this doctor, and this doctor would have openly declined him and laughed him out the office. He was like, why? It's not our place. Yeah. I've, so it's, I've
0: heard way too many stories about women being denied.
3: Hist- tubal ligations. Yeah. yeah. And you know what I'll tell you? So yeah. So typically a lot of men are just like, no, you need to get a tubal ligation. I'm not going to get a vasectomy. And to me, it's like, okay, here's my vasectomy story. I scheduled a vasectomy. The whole thing cost maybe $150. A hundred of that was optional because I wanted laughing gas just in case it hurt more than I was expecting. (laughs) Mm -hmm. There was one moment in the whole experience where I was like, ow, that kind of hurt, but it was one quick moment. He warned me about it and then it passed. So it was one quick moment, less than $150. I'm in and out in an hour. Um, I got a kick with a sperm on it as like a joke. <laughs> I get like a gallon of Chick-fil-A lemonade. I'm kind of out of it for a couple hours. Cause I was like, I did half the laughing gas on my system. You're sore for a few weeks. Like it, it was such an easy surgery yeah. that has worked. Um, we'd be on number two by now. <laughs> oh God uh, nah, it didn't it, need
2: to be shared. Oh, whatever.
0: Uh, but like our eleven listeners won't mind. But yeah, um,
3: but you know, with a tubal ligation, though, you're looking at a highly invasive surgery. Oh yeah, vasectomies are not that invasive. You're looking at thousands of dollars, a much harder recovery process. It, it's much more harmful to the woman's body. It's like no, like we we should encourage vasectomies. Honestly, I think everybody, like at eighteen or twenty five, should be given the chance of a free vasectomy. It's like if you want one, we're just gonna do it. <laughs> okay you know <laughs> i know mean, i yeah my daughter had it done
0: last last year i think it was after her second her third baby and you know she's 25 she's 26 now she's 25 and i was how oh, good for you because you know yeah. i was worried she was not gonna keep having babies but it's you have to they like, cut open the abdominal wall yeah. and it's like a serious thing for men it's like those the van's deferens are like right up under the skin yeah so it's like nothing
3: yeah, so that was thinking like I was literally having a conversation with my doctor yeah. about like <laughs> whether he wants more kids and <laughs> talking with the nurse, all getting the vasectomy. And it's it was so easy. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a permanent form of birth control. Like it's not guaranteed, it's very effective.
0: Yeah.
3: And to me, the to me, like one of the most destructive things to two parents into marriages is a completely unplanned and unexpected child. Not mm-hmm. not because of the child, but because they're so expensive. They completely change your life. If you are not planning for that big life change, when that happens, you're you're overwhelmed. You're under the water and yeah. you're drowning. Yeah. yeah. And so to me, it's like if you're gonna have a kid, it needs to be planned, or or at least you're not surprised by it. Like Emily and I were like, yeah, it's gonna happen. You know. To me, that's the bare minimum. <laughs> I'm sorry, I did not realize how what time it is. Oh no, that's it's okay. You doing great. No, we, you did good. <laughs> trust me,
0: we, we've had a few guests on. We're like, uh, we'll ask questions. Like, yes no a little bit more so yeah. <laughs> thank y'all so much for coming on we love a good talker oh yeah definitely all right so yeah. um for our 11 listeners thanks again for listening to another episode of a guide to poor parenting
1: if you like our podcast please give us a five-star rating on whatever
0: platform you're listening on And if you don't like our podcast just like when our kids say they don't want to go to the piano lessons we've already paid for it. tough shit go to class <laughs> bye. bye thanks guys